I know you would join Osana in praying for our brothers and sisters in Ukraine. One of the things you may not know is that the church in the Ukraine has been anticipating a Russian invasion for some time and they have been preparing to go underground. And so when Russia initiated their attack, they initiated their plan. And while we are deeply concerned about uh, our brothers and sisters and, and what communist control will do to their freedoms, we are very confident that the church continues to thrive in Ukraine. Uh, and that is because they were ready to go underground and they've done that. And so we are continuing to support them and encourage them. And I know you will uh, want to be part of that. Today is one of those happy, sad days for a lot of different reasons. One, we will be moving to Hudson Hall uh, for worship services the rest of the summer at 8, 9, 30, and 11 while we refurbish, upgrade, and, uh, and, and rework this place. Now, you know the three stages of renovation, right? I can't wait till we do this. Why, dear God, did we ever start this? Okay, and we should have done this a long time ago. Okay, so right now we're in the, oh, we can't wait to get this thing started. Next week, three or four days, we'll be in the, oh God, why did we ever do this? And so, you know, so the human journey goes. Uh, but we do not want to overlook the uh, Im uh, importance of this moment and this place. Uh, several years ago, uh, when we opened Hudson Hall, we moved Kairos from Wilson Hall to Hudson Hall. We violated all of, uh, of the principles of how you deal with change. And we just told them, hey, next week we're in Hudson Hall. No big deal. They were young, enthusiastic. They don't have the problems that old people have. I thought we were going to have a full out revolt. Kairos did not want to go to Hudson Hall. It got so bad, this is no kidding, we had to go back to Wilson Hall, have a worship service there, celebrate what God had done there, and walk the worship service from Wilson Hall to Hudson Hall. I asked one of, one of the young men, I said, what, you gotta help me here, I don't get this. And he pointed to a table and he said, you see that table? I said, yeah. He said, every Tuesday, Jesus and I meet right there. I don't even know if Jesus knows where Hudson Hall is. <laughs> so, so we're trying to be as mindful of that in, in, in this change. Now understand, nature has a word for things that are not changing. Dead, okay? We're, we're, change is gonna be part of who we are. But there's, there's some bedrock things we're not gonna change. There's some nasty rumors out there. And good gracious, where you Baptists come up with some of stuff, I'll never know, okay? You're not, going to have the, you're not going to have the orchestra anymore. The orchestra are our members. Did you know that? They are our members. We don't pay them. This is the way they share their, their gifts with, for God. This is the way they love God. This is the way they worship. It's what they do, okay? If I were to do something with the orchestra, I wouldn't be worried about you. I'd be worried about them. No, we're not going to do anything with you. The choir's going to be back, okay? We're going to do this. We're going to be okay. All right? But we're going to be us. This is who we are. This is, this is what we do. And, uh, and it, it'll be a little bumpy in between time. It always is. Uh, but on the other side, we'll be okay and we'll be better able to minister and to take the new adventure that God is laying out 
for Brentwood Baptist Church. Hey, did you know there's a Bible up here? Did y'all know that? It's about right here. It's in the concrete of the, of the, uh, of the platform. And, uh, and, and I told Joe Hudson when we were building this place, I said, I want to put a Bible in the platform so that this box was built by Bill Beatty. That, the, that is it. There are people buried who do not have nice a box as this Bible has. <laughs> and so we told them what we wanted to do and they let us in here. And the guy, we hollowed out a little place, put it there in, 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 in the rebar. And the guy pumping the, uh, the concrete, big guy, tattoos, he's throwing the concrete down and he gets to the Bible and he takes his helmet off. And <laughs> I cried, man. I just, I couldn't help it. I, uh, so, well, it's one of the things that, that are about us. We wanted everybody to know that whoever preaches on this pulpit literally stands on the word, literally. So uh, that's... So uh, when we started talking about this, I said, we got to get that Bible out and, uh, and we'll put it in the, in, the, in the new stage so that that tradition continues. So, you know, there, there's, a, there's a funny thing about our law. We cannot convict you for what you think. We cannot convict you for what you might do. And some of us have been caught in that quirky moment of having someone who we think is dangerous and who has said some scary things. We've reported it to the police and the police said, have they done anything? No. Then we can't do anything. So you have to wait till he beats me up before you can arrest him, pretty much. Okay, because we, be, we can't arrest you for what you think. We can only arrest you for what you do. We can only convict you of what you are guilty of doing. Brings up an interesting question, doesn't it? As much as we talk about love in, in, the, in, in the church, as much as John has talked about it in his letter, let me ask you a question. Is there enough evidence, action, deeds in your life so that you would be convicted of love? If you were being prosecuted for love, would there be enough hard evidence for a jury to convict you. That's one of the questions John wants to be sure the early church gets. It's not what you think, it's not what you feel, it's what you do. Stand with me in honor as we read this verse, 18 of chapter three. Little children, let us not love in word or speech, but in action and truth. Let us not love in word or speech, 
but in action and truth. This is God's word for God's people. Hear it, believe it, and live. Let's pray together. When we read the ancient scripts, we're surprised not by how different the world is between then and now, but how much alike we are. So what John was trying to teach his early church, will you please Jesus teach us now? And we pray this in your name, amen. Now remember, John, we believe, was the only disciple who died of old age, who died of natural causes. He was probably the bishop of Ephesus this time, had written a gospel, and was now answering those very practical questions that all of us have. Okay, John, we know that Jesus lived. We know what he taught. We know that he was arrested. We know he was crucified, that he died for our sins. We know God raised him from the dead, and now he has returned to the Father and will one day return to us. We know that, but what does that mean? What do we do with that? So John writes a letter and says, here's what it means. And every other word in his first letter is love. Love God, love each other, love, 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 love. Now, the problem with that is, is that you and I interpret this as an English word. It's not, it's a Greek word, okay? because. The English language is notoriously fuzzy in communication. And anybody who's had to learn English will tell you that English is a very hard language to learn because it's all about context. It's all about the subtle changes of of, of meaning that happen in context. Uh, A lot of international students can't can't tell the difference between uh uh-uh and uh uh-huh. They can't tell the difference. And you, you say, we can't, it's a different emphasis. No, no, they can't tell the difference. English is a very fuzzy, fuzzy language. And love is the worst, okay? I love pizza, uh, I love my family, I love, you know, same meaning? No, no, very, very, very different meanings. Greek had three words for the word love. They had a word for romantic love, they had a word for friendship, and they had a word for God love, agape. The type of love that God has for the best of the beloved, where God seeks nothing in return, but pours himself out in love for the beloved, agape. Just about every time John uses the word love, it is the word agape. So little children, let us not agape in word or, but in action, word or speech, but in action and truth. Don't talk about it, do it. Now, we, we don't have that problem because we are born in North America. We, we are American and American culture is all about doing. Right, we get up and go, we get, so we know how to love God. And you love God by going to church all the time. And if you love God, you go to church every day. 
Okay, I grew up Southern Baptist. I went Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I began to see it as a retirement plan. You have to put in your time. If you have enough time, you get to go to heaven. Some of my Presbyterian friends will have to wait because they didn't go to church on Sunday night. Don't have the time in. Right? You'll come to worship. You'll go to a Bible study. You'll go to another Bible study to make sure your first Bible study is a good Bible study. You'll go to a missions moment and you'll learn about how to love the poor. You will drive by the poor while you go to talk about them. But you won't do anything. We will be really smart like we're studying for jeopardy. We'll have all the trivia answers about Jesus and the more trivia you know about Jesus, then the more spiritual you are claimed to be. That's not what John's talking about. All right, let me break this down. I'm gonna break this down for you in one, two, three. Grab a piece of paper, grab something. If you take notes on your phone, get your phone out. Okay, and I want you to, I want you to number one, two, three. Okay, I want you to number one, two, three. When Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment was, he said there are two. Love the Lord your God with everything you have, your heart, mind, strength, essence, soul, everything. And love your neighbors, you love yourself. So what does it mean to love God in truth and action? The love of God happens in worship. Now, you just heard singing, right? We're gonna worship, which means we're gonna sing. Now, singing can be part of worship. Doesn't have to be, but it can be. Okay, reading scripture is usually part of worship. Transformation. Don't be conformed to the expectations of this world, but be transformed. By the renewing of your mind so that you'll be able to discern the good and perfect will of God. This is your spiritual worship. Worship is the act of placing God in the center of your universe. Okay, and I've told you this before. The word for glory can also be translated mass. Okay, we know from mass, you have gravity. You have to have a certain amount of mass to have gravity. Our sun has mass and therefore it has all of uh, the gravity it needs to hold all the planets in their specific orbits. If you do not have God in the center of your personal universe, you will not have anything strong enough with gravitas enough to hold the aspects of your life in their particular orbits. If you put your career in the center of your life, your family, your personal life, your identity, all of that will, will, will fall out of orbit. If you put your family in the center of that, the rest of your life will fall out of its proper orbit. It's not strong enough, doesn't have the gravity or mass to hold everything in its proper orbit. So that when you put God in the center of your universe, everything becomes an act of worship. Whatever you do with your hands becomes an act of worship. 
Jesus renews the value of work because we do not work for our boss. We work for Jesus himself. I've told you before about the janitor of my little church that I grew up in, Mr. Green. Mr. Green would polish the floors of our church so honestly they were dangerous to walk on. And if you talk to him, he would tell you, Jesus will be here Sunday. He had taken the mundane act of cleaning a church building and made it an offering of worship. Number one, what does it mean for you to love God in deed, action, and truth? Now, this is where most of us mess up. We think number two is others. Number two is you. Number two is you. Because the result of worship is blessing. The result of worship is blessing. It's that moment when the Father says to you, you are. You are loved. Now, I've told you, I've, I've told you before. In Ephesians 6, Paul says to fathers, don't frustrate your children. That's it. We've got paragraphs and paragraphs of marriage. For fatherhood, it's one sentence. Don't frustrate your children. Took me years to understand this. You know what he's saying? Dad, you know what he's saying? Don't make it hard for your children to believe in me. That's what, that's what the Lord's saying in that word. Don't make it hard for your children to believe in me. You be the kind of father that makes it easy for them to believe in me as their spiritual father, as their heavenly father. Um, a lot of us don't get this, okay? We know God loves us well because God loves, has, has to love everybody. Mm -mm. Do you know he delights in you? Did you? I've told you before. Um, anytime we left my house when we were visiting my parents, we had, to, we had Jeannie and I had to meet and, and plot the leaving. Okay, okay, babe, what time do you think we need to leave? I think we need to get the boys home about six. All right, we need to leave at four. All right, I'll start saying goodbye at two. Okay, we had to plot this, okay? Because it took two hours to say goodbye to my dad. Okay, we'd be in a den, I'd stand up and go, Dad, uh, I need to get the boys on home. You know, they got school tomorrow, we need to get back. Oh, son, your mom's cooking the cake. Sit down, we at least gotta have the cake. Sit down, all right, sit down again. A little bit, I get back up, Dad. I think, you know, I, you know, I put it off as long as I can. We need, we need to get on the road, Daddy. You know, Dashville's not getting any closer. I, I gotta go, well, I know you do, son. But hey, listen, listen, before you go, I wanna talk to you about this one thing. I've been together all weekend. Now he's gotta talk to me about the one thing. We would say goodbye in the den, the kitchen, the hallway, the foyer, the front door, the front porch, the front step, that second step, third step, fourth step. In the car, I would pull away with my dad holding on to my hand. And I'm having to judge the speed so I don't pull him over. <laughs> now, I'm not exaggerating. Have you ever really got that when you stop and pray, the Father feels the same way about you? that he smiles and laughs 
wants to talk to you about your time and your day, about what's going on, about what's coming up. What would it mean for you to accept that love in the way that you live so much so that the word of Christ in your life would cancel out every toxic thing ever said or done to you? Do you get that? The blessing of Jesus in your life cancels out every other word. When the boys were little, they get mad because I wouldn't want to let them do something and go, let's vote. <laughs> well, vote. Their little two hands would shoot up. I'd say, okay, now it's my turn to vote. And I'd hold my hand up. You lose. <laughs> There's more of us, doesn't matter. What matters is who's doing the voting. Do you not understand if the whole world is against you and Jesus is for you, it doesn't matter. Amen. And you need to understand that. That the first response of worship is blessing. You know who you are. You know your purpose. And the first thing that comes to your mind is I've got to tell one of my friends. Okay, now I'm not going to say neighbor here because most of you walk into your driveway and go, okay, there's my neighbor, there's my neighbor, there's my neighbor. No, this is anybody that Jesus puts in front of you. That's who your neighbor is. Anybody that Jesus puts in front of you. Now, <laughs> you know and I know. Having something good happen to your life, the best part is sharing it with your friends and knowing that they'd be miserable knowing how much fun you're having. So you send them a picture. I'm here, you're not. What happens when you're blessed is the first thing that comes to your mind is a friend who you know needs to know this. They're going through a hard time. It's been rough. You, need, you want them to know this is who Jesus is and this is what he means to us. What would it mean for you to be able to say to somebody how much you love them and not have to use any words to do it? so that they know, so that they can prove that you love them. Not in word, but in action, but in truth. Is there enough evidence in your life to convict you of love? <laughs>